I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. In episode 72 of the Food About Town podcast, we're going to talk about the Greek festival and also talk about some other previews and reviews that I've been attending and experiencing recently. So the Greek festival had started last night on June 1st, runs through the 4th over on East Ave, and you definitely need to make it a make it a point this weekend to go over there. You can check it out at rochestergreekfestival.org to find information about hours and exact location. So trying a little something different this week, the Greek Festival interview is going to come at the end of the podcast. At the beginning, I'm going to talk about some, like I said, some places I've been recently. We're going to talk about the Creekside Inn located in Leroy. We're going to talk about some wineries I went to on Seneca Lake. And then also we're going to get into a event that Big Ditch Brewing held in Rochester as they're starting their distribution. So trying something a little bit different, uh, going to get a little more of my thoughts out there on different openings and reviews. It's hard to get to write all this stuff anymore, so I want to get a little more of those thoughts out there. So if you like this episode, check it out. Let me know. Food About Town on Facebook, at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Hopefully it's been a great Memorial Day weekend for everybody out there. I know I was pretty productive hanging out. The wife was out in Massachusetts this weekend at an art show. Um, and if you want to check out her, you definitely should. It's uh, Crazy Dude, C-R-A-Z-D-U-D-E on uh, Facebook and Instagram. So check out what she's doing. Um, but it's a beautiful weekend out here in Rochester. And just reminded me of some interesting experiences I had recently um, kind of all road trip things in one way or another. So these are some great ideas for places you're going to be able to road trip to this summer and really enjoy the, enjoy some of the, you know, the big trips we have out there. Um, so the first one is a preview event I went to a little while back over in Leroy. Now Leroy, obviously a town there isn't a lot to go out to other than the, you know, the Jello Museum. And, you know, there's some traditional restaurants out there that, you know, I've, I've had some questionable experience at in the past. But um, I was invited to this, to this new preview of a place right on Main Street in Leroy. And the place is called Farmer's Creekside Inn and Tavern. And, I mean, this, the place, for one, has gone through such a transformation. It's kind of a story in of itself. Um, the building is... Very old. I'm not going to get into the details of years because, truthfully, I don't remember. But they've reclaimed this building after a major fire. And this family, the, the farmer family, has you know reclaimed the old shale, reclaimed old parts of the building, and turned into something absolutely special right on the creek in uh, downtown Leroy. It's kind of a classic Main Street, you know. And, but... Unfortunately, due to, you know, economic downturns and the change in, you know, change in manufacturing, everything else, it's a little bit dead on that main street. And truthfully, I hope this is sort of a boost for that whole area. So 
some details about the place. Um, when it's fully open in the summertime with a patio on the creek side, multiple floors of dining, there can be up to 400 seats in this restaurant. It's an ambitious project, to say the least. Truthfully, I love it. It also has three hotel rooms on the top, which are very well designed from my time watching HGTV. Um, <laughs> uh, I thought the design was really nice through the whole place. So the main floor, I'd say, is the uh, the tavern-style place, which is kind of at street level. And when you walk in, uh, it, was a, it was mostly finished when we got there. You've got low ceilings. You've got dark wood. It's going to be this upscale tavern style floor and this is kind of intended for everybody it's a place where anybody can go eat and have a good time and you know the menu is going to be upscale pub food maybe a little bit of a british bent to it but the whole that whole area is just beautiful and it really captures that feel perfectly and of course they're gonna have great wine this whole staff is full of wine nerds uh, Chris Grocky, who used to be at Char, is the general manager, and uh, they also have, I think they have three people working on sommelier certifications. Uh, Chris and uh, Drew, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, but Drew Chappett are both level twos, and they're working on level three, which is some pretty intense stuff. Um, I've been getting into wine more and more recently, and this visit kind of spurred me on to that, because uh, in our dinner, we had this absolutely fantastic meal at the upper level of this place, which is going to be their fine dining experience. Um, I think what we got served was sort of a cross between some of the fine dining and the uh, fine dining and the tavern food. I still think that tavern food is going to be more upscale than people are necessarily used to in that area, but I think it'll make for that in-between place where you're not, you don't feel like you're going to fine dining necessarily, but you can really enjoy a meal out with the basics and creative basics done really well. But our meal that we had was, I mean, really outstanding. Uh, we started off with a couple couple small bites. I think, what was the first one? that? So we had, a, oh yeah, there was like a, a fish cake, which was really good. Um, sort of fried like a, um, fried kind of like a fish stick, but it was in a ball. And really well balanced. I mean, everything we had was really good. There was a ceviche, a simple spring green salad, a truffle chicken. Truffle chicken was just ridiculous. Um, They had this just really, it was amazing. It was a ton of truffle on there. But it, it wasn't super overpowering like truffle can be. Like they didn't just stuff it. They didn't put a huge sauce on it. It was, it was actually a really good truffle dish. Um, the surf and turf was, oh, they did a French onion soup that everybody raved about. Um, it's like, it's weird. You get all these amazing things. You get truffle chicken, you had a surf and turf. Um, and the thing everybody's raving about is a French onion soup. But that goes to show you that when things are done well, and it doesn't matter if it's a basic, if it's a basic or not, you can really excite people when the basics are done really well. It's, it's just being thoughtful. And this was a great example of that. Um, and the dessert we had was just fascinating. It was a uh, sweetened foie gras dessert, which I really enjoyed. I know some people had a, some people were a little bit rough about it. It was a chocolate and grape jelly foie gras, and it was cooked absolutely perfectly. Um, 
So it was, I mean, this, this is a menu definitely pushing the limits. And I think it's going to be a fascinating place to go. I think it will be a destination on the west side of Rochester. And not that far for those in Buffalo either. It's only it's only 30 minutes from Buff, from Rochester. And it's kind of hard to remember because we're used to going to the east side, out to Canandaigua and to the Finger Lakes, which you're talking 40-plus minutes to get to anywhere. And this is closer than there. It's a beautiful drive. It's a cool little main street. And um, Bill Farmer is going to be doing more renovation on Main Street as well, talking about maybe an ice cream shop, adding more in-rooms, uh, hotel rooms along Main Street. So you can go spend a beautiful night at the restaurant, hang out a little bit, enjoy sort of the quaint uh, quaint Main Street, small-town Main Street feel. Um, so keep an eye out for Farmer's Creekside Inn uh, over in Leroy. I'll be having Chris Grocky on the podcast hopefully pretty soon, and we're going to talk more wine we talk Finger Lakes wine a little bit and more about the restaurant as it comes closer to opening. Uh, next, I'm going to talk a little bit about a mini wine tour I took with uh, Brandon Vula. He's one of my uh, one of my partners in Frankly and. Uh, so, frankly, I mentioned a prior podcast, uh, phrank.ly, project I'm working out with food distribution and where you can find your favorite products that you've tasted in your in the restaurants you love so much. Um, but we took a little wine tour going down Seneca Lake, and we hit three wineries that I really think you should hit. And some of them you probably have, but they have such a different feel from one another that you can get just a great experience, actually four wineries. You can get the really interesting experience in four wineries and still have good stuff at every place. So um, going from north to south on Seneca, I'm going to give you a few different places that you should definitely check out. Um, from the north, you're talking about ravines. Now, ravines was, I thought, you know, overall the my favorite of the wineries we hit. Now, for, for a different reason than some of the other ones. I like them all, but I think this was the one that hit a lot of the balance points. And from top to bottom, I thought they had a lot of fantastic stuff. Um, not just your standard you know, dry Rieslings and everything. I thought their reds were very balanced. And they had a beautiful open area. I think this is kind of what tipped me in their direction. They had this beautiful open area where they were doing this little lunch counter. Uh, they were done for the day. But this lunch counter menu in this beautiful open wood area was pretty fascinating. Uh, great prices, and the menu looked great. So if you get there around lunchtime, definitely check that out. Um, going down the lake, um, the one that I think you know may surprise some people was Fox Run. Now, I like their stuff a lot. Uh, we, did a, we did a tasting there, and we ate lunch at the cafe Cafe is fantastic. This is a kind of a hidden gem in the Finger Lakes, especially around this area. Oftentimes you go on these wine tours, you need, you need somewhere to eat. And this cafe is absolutely perfect. This is, enough, this is a great example of somewhere who is, they're not trying to do crazy things. But what they're doing is they're sourcing locally. They're bringing in local cheese. They're doing uh, local meats and everything like that. And... They're doing things very satisfying. It's satisfying basic food. And when you're on a wine tour, you need real food. And I couldn't tell you more to go there 
as your first stop on Seneca Lake before you go out everywhere else. Get some food in you and enjoy some of the better value wines, um, some of the better value wines in and around the area. Um, price is very reasonable. And I thought, you know, especially if you edge towards, now, of course, we self-selected a little bit. Uh, we edged towards the uh, some of their more interesting products. We edged towards the drier versions of their wines. But I, I was really impressed with the quality and the price points. It's somewhere, I mean, I grabbed three bottles on my way out. I grabbed a couple of Chardonnays that were under $15 that I actually really enjoyed. And they had a combination wine with them, uh, Anthony Road, and that was a Riesling that was pretty fantastic that I really enjoyed. And that was about, uh, I think it was about $30 a bottle. So um, definitely check them out, uh, do a tasting, and try out that cafe. Um, going down, now I forget exactly where this one is. We didn't get to taste anything that day. But uh, Billsboro, or Billsboro, uh, they won the Governor's Cup for Best Wine. It was a uh, Syrah. And highly recommend stopping in there. We didn't get a tasting this time, but it's sort of up in the hills, secluded, and a little bit slower paced than some of the other places. So um, another one to check out. Uh, but this day we went to Shaw. Now, Shaw Vineyard is definitely one of the more um, out-of-the-norm wineries that I've gone to in and around in and around the Finger Lakes. Um, they did a lot of holdover vintages um, in their tasting. And we got, I think it was seven or eight wines in a tasting. Everything's still $5. Amazing tasting. Um, all dry. A lot of interesting wines. Uh, a couple interesting ones were a, they had a uh, 2003 Chardonnay on that had been held for just years, obviously. And really fantastic stuff. They have an orange wine on. Um, the orange wine was really good. But uh, kind of the standouts were a duo of four-year oak-aged, uh, uh, sorry, four-year oak-aged wines. I think there one was a uh, Cabernet Franc and one was a Cabernet Sauvignon. And, man, they, they don't shy away from what they are. They try to push things. They try to make it more interesting. And they're not going for necessarily subtle or going necessarily for what everybody wants which means you really need to stop in there. He's, it's a passion project, and it's not trying to be for everybody, which for me makes it fascinating and worth a stop. So uh, Shaw Vineyards. And I think our, our last stop that day, or actually it was part, partway through, but the last one going south is uh, Herman J. Veemer, and their tasting room is absolutely stunning. Uh, it's kind of an open barn area, but... You know, it's a great, great environment. They had uh, well-trained staff coming out to give you tastings. Um, they showed showed some different areas of their different areas of their vineyards, um, or the different areas where the grapes are harvested, and you could really taste the difference between their uh, less selective and more selective grapes. And a beautiful area to do a tasting. So definitely stop into Herman J. Vimer as well. And if you have more time, I'm going to bring another food thing in here. Uh, we didn't get to it that day. Uh, we were running out of time. But go another 15 minutes south, and you'll hit FLX Wienery. That's Christopher Bates's casual-style restaurant. And this is an absolute stunner. It is house-made sausages, great hamburgers, amazing toppings. I remember I had a house-made sausage with just this umami bomb of topping, toppings on top. I think it was a miso mayo and 
you know, sauteed mushrooms and things like that. Fantastic stuff. And they also have a, um, as you'd expect from Christopher Bates, a master sommelier, um, some really amazing wines sitting in a fridge in the corner of this casual, uh, casual hole in the wall drive up style, like hamburger stand almost, um, fascinating stuff. So wineries to check out on Seneca that I've been to recently, you've got ravines, you've got Billsboro, Fox Run, Shaw, and Herman J. Veemer. So definitely check those out on your next trip down Seneca Lake. So last but not least, I'd like to talk about Big, Big Ditch Brewing, which is a Buffalo staple brewery now coming into Rochester for distribution. Uh, they held an event over at Genesee Valley Park, and uh, they really did it up great. Uh, they picked a beautiful day. I think it was like in the 80s that day, and I mean, they didn't plan that, of course, but it turned out perfectly. Um, they did a real nice, real nice uh, sampling of, I think they had like 10 or 12 different beers out there. Uh, the three beers that they're putting into distribution in Rochester are their... Really? This We're getting an autoplay? No, I don't want autoplay. Okay, so... <laughs> um, thanks, Democrat and Chronicle website. Um, but, of course, great information from Will Cleveland doing, uh, doing beer writing at the DNC, so I can't fault him for that. But... So Big Ditch, their three beers that are into distribution here in Rochester are the Low Bridge, uh, the Low Bridge Golden Ale, the Hayburner IPA, and the Excavator Rye Brown Ale. So those are the ones you'll find at Wegmans, AJ's, and places like Beers of the World, and I think elsewhere around Rochester as well. So definitely check those out. The tasting event uh, was a good reminder that it's only a short drive into the city of Buffalo. You're only talking about an hour and you get some amazing restaurants in the area where their tasting room is, which is in the city of Buffalo. And around that area are amazing restaurants like Marble and Rye, Sea uh, Bar, and Teutant. Um, not that far away, Buffalo proper. Uh, some amazing places. So make a, make a day of it. Stop out to the tasting room. And it's a beautiful place. This is a huge, um, almost sports bar-like place. And based on the food we sampled at this event... Uh, we had a had a pretzel, a very good Reuben, and it, this this was a this was an event and some great wings as well. They they even brought all this equipment in to do it fresh, so um, they really did it upright and definitely made me want to go and check out the uh, check out that location when I can actually get in. The last time I was there, it was just so busy. I think it was on a hockey night, and that place was definitely packed. A lot of people love this place, so. Uh, check out Big Ditches Beers in places around Rochester, like Wegmans, AJ's Beer Warehouse, and Beers of the World. And if you get a chance, go into Buffalo, try some awesome restaurants, and make a stop into the Big Ditch Tasting Room. So hopefully you enjoy that. And I think the next thing we're going to talk about is the Greek Festival. So hold on for one minute, and we'll be back with information about the Greek Festival coming up here this week in Rochester. All right, so this is a stunning spring day here in Rochester, and 
We're going through some technical difficulties while we're doing this. One of my microphones has decided to fall off of its stand on a consistent basis. So I think uh, the guest to my right, he's, uh, <laughs> he's going to be managing that. So what, what's your name and thanks for helping. Sure. My name is John Laurie and I'm the marketing chair for the 2017 Rochester Greek Festival. Oh, which is why we're here today. What a coincidence. So thanks for coming and thanks for dealing with my um, faulty equipment for the time being. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having us. <laughs> and uh, why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Maria Aslani Braid, and I'm the president of the Paris Council and of the Festival Committee. Okay, and uh, what, what is the Paris Council? The Paris Council of the Annunciation Greek Orthodox Church. Okay. Uh, where we are going to hold the 2017 Greek Festival. Beautiful. And uh, straight across from me. I am Rhonda Stamatis, and I am the vice president of the Bar Parish Council and have been volunteering for Greek Festival for about 17 years. Wow. So how long, has the, how long has the Greek Festival been going on continuously here in Rochester? 1998 is when we began at the church property. Okay. So we've been for quite a few years now. Was it going on before that, or was it, was it just was that started there at the, at the church? It was going on before that. It was at another location off of the property. Okay. And then in 1998, came back to the church. Nice. So for those that aren't aware, where is, uh, where is the event located, and uh, what are the dates of the Greek festival coming up? It is located in the parking lot of our church, and the church is next to the Eastman House on East Avenue. Uh, the dates are June 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. And I believe that's 962. East Avenue. There you go. For for those of us that don't know where anything is and only use Google Maps for everything that we do. Of course. So, 926 East Avenue and June 1st through the 4th. 962. 962. See, I messed it up already. Next to the Eastman House. There you go. See, they've got the they've got the message down. So, Greek Festival, this is something I've been to a few times. I know it's very popular and all of East Avenue gets really busy and it's it's great. It's great to see all these people coming out for an interesting cultural event, because that's what this is, really. I mean, it is a cultural event, first and foremost. It really is. It, it showcases, uh, you know, not only uh, the Greek culture, but also the Greek community. Uh, there is a very thriving um, and, you know, deeply rooted um, Greek culture and Greek community here, and, and everybody does come out. Yeah, and, it's, and so my understanding is, obviously, we're going to talk about the food and drink here for a little bit. But it is a community-driven event. There's a lot of volunteers. It's people from the church. It's people from the Greek community cooking and making all this amazing food for people, right? Yes. <laughs> this year, actually, our, uh, the Greek community is celebrating 100 years of existence in Rochester, New York, and the church. We have our centennial celebration. Our um, poster, actually, for the Greek festival presents that very well because in the background is the Rochester skyline and uh, in the front are the Greek dancers so it's another reminder that the Greeks have been in this community for a hundred years and they have given a lot and taken a lot from the Rochester community. A hundred years wow yes. I mean it's you know, we, we all need to sometimes take a step back and look at you know a hundred years of history in, in town um is was there was do you do you know the history of how the how people came here the the Greek people came here? 
Well, the church was established in 1917. Okay. Uh, but Greeks had come before that. So earlier in the century, the first Greeks had arrived in Rochester, New York. Um, Greece was a poor country back then. Um, we were uh, in the early uh, 1910 to 1915, we had the, uh, the Balkan Wars. Greece was suffering. So a lot of Greeks had to immigrate to find jobs and a better life, and they did. And of course, the second big immigration wave goes after the Second World War when Greece was again completely destroyed. And ironically, it is a lot of those people and their younger relatives um, that are the mainstay volunteers that are, are really the people that are making this festival happen. Without volunteers, without the grandmothers, we call them yayas in Greek, without them and the women that are here in front of me today, uh, that fe this festival not only would not exist, but it would not have grown to what it truly has today. Yeah, well, that's also that's a lot of pride in your community. I mean, that's that's a pride of where you are, a pride in Rochester, a pride in your community, and it's great to show it off to everybody. Because um, in Rochester, it's uh, Greek food isn't very widely. There's not a ton of Greek places here in Rochester. No, not at all. There's been you know one or two over the years. I can remember. Uh, restaurant in particular on Monroe Avenue called the Olive Tree. At one point, I heard about it. It was before I got really into the whole into the whole food thing heavily, but I did hear about it. Yep, and another one more recently uh, called Mykonos over in the Village Gate. Um, but yep. you know, obviously, you know Rochester is really well known for its diners and Nick Tahos and you know all Greek, but more of an American flair. Right. Uh, versus and now, now we have now we have Vula's, which is yep, one great. I mean, a great person, and she's really doing a great job representing representing that uh, hospitality in the way she does. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're getting here is more a lot of home-style cooking, correct? That's kind of yes. what we're getting here at the Greek Festival. That's right. Everything is, ho is made by us, so we won't say it's homemade. We use recipes that are classic recipes, uh, that everybody who makes a pasticcio pretty much makes it very, almost the same mm -hmm. if you are from Greece. I was born in Greece, and I came in uh, Rochester, New York in 92 as an adult. So I am very familiar with Greek cooking. So you, you've, you've got the credibility to say yes. this, this is how it's done. That's how it's well, done. That's, and also, it's, I think people get hung up on this is how everybody does it. But it's how, how a family does it. It's how these people do it and it doesn't have to be it's not always the most romantic way it's the way your family does it it's the way your community does it absolutely I, I think that makes the biggest difference like like so many cultural dishes across whether it be greek italian um, mexican there are these base dishes that have become very iconic in cultures um, and each and every family has a little bit of a different spin on it a little bit more of this spice or a little bit less of that um, but at the Greek festival, it really is a collaboration of, you know, some of these uh, great uh, chefs that you know about and great yayas that you don't know about. Everybody coming together to create this food and, and something that Rochester can be really proud of. Well, I think that's always the interesting part, right? I mean, it's all these people coming together as professionals coming together with people who just love to cook and love to 
love to show off their show off their style, their food cooking style. Um, so coming from prof- from a professional background, uh, how does that how does that end up working for you? It comes together great at the Greek festival. I, it's you know the professionals they can come in and they make the big batches of things, but then the women are there and it's um, you know putting it together and everybody's working together and it it creates. Um, a wonderful bringing together of our Greek community. And, you know, we come to church on Sundays and we see each other, but then it also gives us another opportunity to come together as a Greek community, work together and, and, you know, laugh and, and do things together and, and, um, and then be able to give it to the community in in the form of the Greek festival and share our culture and, and the history of it with, with uh, the people in Rochester. And it's kind of what you'd hope too, isn't it? When, you can get those little touches. You know, you might be doing the bulk work, but those little touches are kind of hard to come by without those years of experience and that, that history behind it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if I can paint just a little bit of a picture, last week... Oh, I, I, like was, the, I like the picture painting. I like what you're doing. Last week, I, I actually stopped in and we had some, you know, marketing stuff to discuss. And, and I went down to the kitchen to just check, see how things are progressing. And there were literally a dozen grandmothers in the kitchen, one chef in his whites, and <laughs> 12 women, no one over 5'5". Five five. Of course. Uh, everyone hands in, working, different stages of different foods being prepared is really, a, well, I'm trying to think of what they call it, like a managed chaos. Yeah. But, it, but how much fun is that? Oh, and I'm sure everybody's having a good time. They're all talking. They're all going back and forth. Oh, the, the, the Greek is at... at, at Rapid speed. (laughs) Lots of conversations going on. Well, it has to be kind of nice, you know, too, seeing everybody together. And I'm sure it's for for everybody, it's kind of a fun time to get together. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the food. So it's a pretty wide offering the last few times I've been there. I know uh, we talked a little bit beforehand. Things change. Things things evolve. You do different things. And I see some recipe cards right across from us. Um, what, what What are some of the highlights? Obviously, there's dishes some people know and some people um, some people aren't as familiar with. I mean, there's the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the, they're not Americanized, but the, the ones that have become popular in America, you know, your, your gyro, your things like that. But you guys go a step beyond that, obviously. We have the iconic dishes. We have pastizio, which is pretty much the Greek version of lasagna. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastizio is a dish that if you have a party, if your child comes back from college, asks you to make it for them. So we have it at the Greek festival because we have it always in a big family celebration. And it's a a dish that the the kids grow up to love it and ask for it. Um, It's made uh, of special noodles that... They're called pasticcio noodles, actually. Uh, ground beef sauce and a white sauce on the top, which is called bechamel, mm-hmm. which is a French absolutely. <laughs> version. Yep, uh, absolutely. Very creamy, very nice. It's, it's an awesome, it's very nice. It's I mean, it's, nice it's true comfort food. I mean, people, yes. people love lasagna. People love dishes like this. It's true comfort food. And I'm sure everybody has their own slight different take on it, like, uh, like John was saying before. Absolutely. And, and now a lot of people who have kind of become familiar with Greek food, you know, they know uh, pastizo. 
but what they may not know is its cousin, uh, which is moussaka, which mm. incorporates uh, potatoes and um, eggplant. Eggplant. So there's a kind of a sounds even better to oh. me. That's I mean, awesome. I, I I love eggplant. Eggplant's one of these. It's one of these vegetables that sometimes people get hung up upon mm-hmm. because either it gets it can get very mushy and people aren't people get very weird about textures. I don't really understand it. I like weird te- I my, like textures. My wife is one of those people, and I, I've already told her uh, she can't pass that on to our kids. No. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things I'm, I'm really happy that I don't have it because I can go and appreciate food from different cultures where they're not as sensitive about textures or uh, fishy flavors. Like sure. you go into the Asian cuisines, you'll get a lot of these concentrated fish sauces and things like that. And it's it's great to explore without some of those some of the hang-ups. Yeah, absolutely, um, and African cuisine as well. Um, you know, some uh, some of those countries, uh, a lot of it is very paste-based as well. Mm, love it. Anything paste, it's it's always the best. So much concentrated flavor. So we've got we've got our pastizio, we've got our moussaka. What's uh, what's what are some of the other uh, greatest hits? Well, we've got the spanakopita, which most people, I think, again, that's another one that most people know. I think so. And, you know, with the spinach. Then there's also the tropita, which is the spanakopita without the spinach. So it's, it, you know, if you don't like the spinach, you don't like that. The tropita is a little stronger, a little bit more cheesy flavor. Yeah, and and the, that's another one to... The leeks. To, to, yes. Ooh, yeah. I love leeks. Yeah. So that's, a, that's another one that... Um, those are our mainstays. Mm-hmm. You and know, that's in that's in, that's inside a phyllo pastry. Inside the phyllo pastry, yep. yes, yep. Which it makes for great textural combination with the with the spinach and the feta and or just the feta by itself. You know, it's that contrast between the crunch and the creaminess, all and the that punch of salt right in there in the center. It's kind of the way to do it. Um, Absolutely. And then we've got you know we've got the mainstays. You've got your gyro. You've got uh, what are some of the other big chicken souvlaki mm-hmm. and uh, pork souvlaki. Nice. I mean, people, it's hard not to like meat roasted on a stick. Yes. And speaking of meat roasted on a stick, I mean, I can't believe no one's mentioned it so far. The lamb shank, which Ooh. is something that is, uh, has become an annual tradition for me. I have got to at least have one of those while I'm there each year at the festival. So how, how is it prepared in this, in this way? The lamb shank is in a red sauce, and mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very nice. So, like, braised in a red it's sauce? Ra- yes, yes. Mm. There is uh, a very long preparation of it, and it's very slowly cooked, and uh, it needs a lot of oven time, which makes it extremely labor-intensive. Absolutely. Well, I think lamb's one of those things that um, we've picked up a little bit on here. You know, people go for the little tiny cute lamb chops, which are nice and light, and they don't have much specific lamb flavor to them. But if you start getting to the leg, you start to taste it like lamb, like you should. It should taste like lamb. Oh, man, you think a, a, you know, a turkey leg at a traditional festival is good. You've seen nothing in comparison to this nice um, lamb shake. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I love when something's celebrated for what it is. It's... It's a piece of the animal that is treated treated with respect. It's cooked till it's delicious, but it's a full flavored thing. We shouldn't be wasting obviously a lamb shank, you know, a leg is a great piece of meat, but there's so much in there that can be used all the way down. That's where these long cooks turn into great food. 
Absolutely. And, and that attention to detail and, you know, not not necessarily focusing on what we can turn out the most of, but what is going to taste the best, what is quality driven. That's been, a, you know, a, a part of the festival for at least the last 15 years. Um, it's that attention to detail and that really that ethnic uh, feel to it. Yeah. One, it's and having gone to a few different um, cultural festivals around town, um, I love it's that celebration part of it. It's this, um, there, it's it's showing off a little bit, saying, "Hey, we're we're doing this stuff. We have a lot of respect. We have pride in who we are, and we want you to experience just a little bit of it." And uh, and you guys have music and dancing too, right? Absolutely. So, is that any specific times or days, or is that just kind of? Uh, the music is from the beginning of the festival till the end, basically. Awesome. Uh, we have our dance groups, our children, up from kindergarten up to college. Uh, kids dancing. That is at 5 o'clock and at 7 o'clock every night. And Saturday and Sundays also are during the day. Uh, you can check our website for... Uh, Rochester, yeah, Rochester Greek, Greek Festival, Festival for the specific times there we go. Uh, of the dancing uh, groups. It's great, but all of uh, our guests can dance too. At the end, every dance group invites uh, all the, the crowd to join in and dance. And you can just we show you how to do it, and it's uh, a lot of fun. Well, that doesn't sound terrible, does it? No, and especially no. on those Friday and Saturday nights, as uh, you know, a couple of Greek beers and a couple of glasses of Greek wine. Uh, everybody's Greek, uh, and those <laughs> lines of the the Greek line dancing, uh, you know, uh, lines and lines of spiraling of people, you know, enjoying themselves. That's great. So yeah, let's dive into it. So that's something I'm not as familiar with is. Um, you know, the Greek beers and wines, um, they don't get uh, publicized very much here in and around in and around the States, at least not around here very much. Sure. And, and a lot of that has to do with the availability. Yeah. Um, so for us, uh, we've served uh, Mythos beer for as long as I can remember. We've um, a couple of different times we've talked about changing it and potentially this year with uh, another brand called Alpha. But ultimately... Uh, we went with what we knew. We went with what, uh, you know, still is that that quality and that standard. And uh, Mythos is, you know, a, a pilsner, uh, very much um, in the vein of Heineken yep, uh, or Amstel. Um, just a good quality, consistent. European pilsner, yeah. yep. Easy drinking. Nothing nothing wrong with that. It's a, it's yep. a crowd pleaser. Everybody everybody likes that. Absolutely. Um, and I know, I know the, the Greek, the, the region around there is becoming more and more renowned for wine now. I mean, people obviously know Italian wines are very popular, but I think the countries around there are becoming, um, becoming more popular right now in the wine world. That's right. Uh, but, of course, Greek wines were known since ancient times. Mm -hmm. Ancient Greeks were using wine, and uh, Greece has that history for many, many years, but it was not widely known uh, lately, there are more interesting wines, different wines. We have small farms that they, small wineries that they're producing their own, uh, own wines, and uh, unfortunately, that still is not available in Rochester, New York. Some of the um, 
stores carry mm -hmm. different Greek wines. Yeah, and I think with, with the explosion in interest in wine from around the world, not just from the major producers or the major countries, um, you can watch movies on Netflix about you know the sommeliers and how, uh, how dedicated they are to learning the wine all around the world. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently, and this um, sommelier out of New York City was talking about she's carrying wine from the Canary Islands. Wow. Mm -hmm. You know, specifically from the Canary Islands. And I know right now Croatia is getting very popular for wine. Sure. And it makes me excited where maybe we'll be able to taste, you know, taste Greece in a bottle soon here in Rochester from, from those independent producers that yes. are doing things the old school well, way. Well, Greece, although it's a very small country, uh, the wines that are produced from the different areas are completely different mm -hmm. because there are a lot of microclimates. So if you have a wine from Sandorini, it's... Uh, uh, it's very volcanic, the, the land, the, the soil, so, mm -hmm. and very dry also. So the wines from Santorini are completely different than the wines of the north of Greece or of the south of mainland. So Peloponnesus has its own wines. Even the north part of Peloponnesus has completely different wines than the south. So Greece is very diverse although it's such a small country. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the fascinating part. People forget that almost every country has its own regions, that everything's regional. Everything's a little different in one region from the other, whether it's food, whether it's culture. I mean, we see it here in the U.S. You know, our regions are very different. There's a different culture. And we sometimes forget, you know, because we're insulated, we forget other countries have regions too. We think, oh, it's Chinese food. No, there's huge regions in China. Absolutely. There's different regions in India and all these different countries. And I think sometimes we need to take a minute to think about the different areas. And, hey, these are different cultures in this same country. And sometimes food and drink's a great way to do that. Absolutely. And, and over the course of the last five years of the festival, we've you know taken notice of what people have kind of uh, gravitated towards. And we've made some changes. Uh, we've added um, not necessarily uh, more labor-intensive dishes, but dishes that are easy for us to produce at a quality, uh, very high quality. Um, things like now calamari um, <coughs> or keftedes, which are um, meatballs. Uh, Greek meatballs. Greek meatballs. There we go. Nice. The saganaki, we added the saganaki, the flaming cheese. I mean, it's a great, it's a, it's an interesting presentation, and it's just a great flavor too. Well, that flaming cheese, uh, I was lucky enough to grab a, a couple of images last year. Uh, I'm glad they're, you know, we keep the the fire marshal comes at the beginning, <laughs> um, but those flames are, are are it's awesome. It's all a part of that culture. Anyone that's been to a Greek restaurant that orders it, that that theater, yeah, you know, is really a part of it, and. You know, anyone that's able to come to the festival and see a lot of the food being prepared uh, in front of them or, or just off to the side, um, it really is a process. It really has a little bit of theater to it. And, uh, you know, coming to visit, not only to see the Greek bands, but just how this process works and how it works so successfully. You know, things like food lines. You know, uh, we may have 50 or 60 people in line. But nobody waits longer than 20 or 30 minutes um, to get their food, and, and, and that's at our peak times. Which, I mean, you're talking lunches and dinners, but oh, yeah. you go on an off time, you're going to be able to get through a lot oh, quicker. Absolutely. So 
That's what I always do anyways. I don't go out on Friday, Saturday nights much anymore. I go I go on weekdays to, yeah. to eat. So then that's that's perfect for me. I love it. But although you can have a very long uh, food line on the, the main food line, you have the appetizers, which is the flaming cheese, yep. the meatballs, the calamari on the side. So you can have something to eat while you're waiting on the food line. Also, we have the desserts that are on different uh, well, areas. So you can have a dessert first and then have your food. Well, let's talk about some desserts. So yeah. th- this is what a lot of people are... What a lot of people know the best is some of these Greek desserts. So obviously we're doing we're doing some of the some of the it's a lot of traditional stuff and we're doing you know obviously what what what's the favor? What's everybody going well, for? Well the again the most iconic dessert is baklavas. Of course. Uh, a very baklavas has filo, has butter, has nuts, cinnamon, cloves, sugar. Uh, and syrup, of course. Mm-hmm. Can't uh, forget the honey. That's for yes. sure. Oh, yeah. For the syrup. Very close to baklavas is something else called saragli. Saragli is pretty much almost like a baklavas, but uh, we, fo- we wrap it differently. Mm-hmm. And then we put chocolate on top. Well, that doesn't so sound terrible. that also is used if you want to have an ice cream, if it's a warm day, mm-hmm. and you want to have... Uh, you can have ice cream with baklava on top. So that's very nice, too. A baklava yes. sundae and some that, chocolate. Now, that sounds very nice. Yes, it is. Do a little chopping, throw it on top of the topping. Yes. It sounds very pleasant. Yes, it is very nice. You talk uh, about that evolution of you know, trying to you know, please everyone and, and kind of open the door to other Greek flavors. Yeah, absolutely. Then we have kadaifi, which is a shredded dough. With nuts and honey and syrup. Now, and a lot of times, uh, the nuts, uh, they use uh, pistachios in there. Is that a walnut dish? We use walnuts. Pistachios are used more in different areas of the Mediterranean, actually. Okay, I'm probably thinking Turkish then. Or Lebanese. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's there's a a lot of similarities between a lot of these dishes and... It's it's that's where I find it interesting. Where it's a lot of more walnuts here, you'll find pistachios. Almost all the countries around the Mediterranean have a baklava at least the east, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the baklava is a little bit different in Absolutely. every country. Well, it's that I always find that fascinating. What 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 carries over? What is similar in different countries? You'll find hummus in all the different countries, and maybe it's prepared a little bit differently in one versus the other. You'll find your. Um, Things like uh, shawarma or you know meat on we a stick. We call it fava. Yeah, absolutely. You'll f- and uh, gyro is in a lot of ways a that's like a shawarma. You'll find that in mm-hmm. the different countries, mm-hmm. and but it's treated differently. Um, and then you'll see it transferred over to countries like Mexico, where they do sure. el pastor on a spit in the same kind of way. I, I love finding those similarities between the cultures, and you know I, that's that's the part that makes me interested. You know, you see everybody's. We all do things similarly, but everybody's got a little bit of different different twist on it. We have actually our butter cookies, okay. which is our Christmas cookie, uh, and it has a lot of sugar. It's it's a butter cookie with a lot of powdered sugar on top. Mm-hmm. We have what we call melomacarona, which is a vegan cookie. Nice. And then uh, you immerse it in syrup, so it's very moist, mm. but it's a vegan cookie. 
Very nice. And uh, for desserts also, we have a nut cake, which is very, very nice. The Greek version of a nut cake. Okay. So we're kind of like a little more dense. Yes. It has eggs. It has nuts. Nice. It has syrup. Greeks put syrup on everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> almost and everything. I, we almost have our kurulaika, which is... Oh, the kurulaika are the little a butter cookies. cookie, no nuts. Okay. Um, oh, so many of them have nuts in them, but the kurulaika, if someone is allergic to nuts, that has no nuts, no powdered sugar, no honey. It's just... Little more of a dunking cookie, yes. type more of a simple, of thing. yeah, yes. simple, yes. Yeah, yeah, sort of like it a is a dunking cookie, sort yeah, yeah. of to that really nice. type of thing. Sometimes it's nice to have a little change of pace from yes. the from the syrup Especially and everything else. Especially when they're you're there all four days, you have to <laughs> eat different things, and you well. have to try the Greek coffee also. Okay, Absolutely. and that's now that's something that, again that's very similar amongst a lot of cultures. Sure, the, yes. the Greek coffee is it's a so my understanding is it's finely ground. Correct. Um, it's cooked. It's cooked a fair amount. There's a there's a fair amount of coffee in there. It tends to be dense, and uh, you get some fine particles in your coffee. I mean, it's the style that it's done. Uh, makes it's a strong cup. It is, and you have um, at the bottom, you uh, the particles mm-hmm. stay. Yeah, they settle at the bottom. They settle in the bottom. Yeah, and it's you, you have you, to wait for it, and then you have to start drinking it yeah. so to settle. A you do enjoy bit. a you have to enjoy a strong cup, and it's something you usually want to balance out with a little sugar or milk. Um, it's it's just it's it's an it's a different coffee experience than if you go to like Joe Bean Coffee, like I do. It's a very different coffee experience. Sure, which and, is and nice. And when you're on that thread, you know, depending on how warm it is out there, uh, the frappe is just fantastic. Um, and, you know, before we leave the sweets uh, completely in the rearview mirror, uh, y- you can't not talk about Lucumadas. Um, oh, Lucumadas, how do we forget? I, oh, go ahead. I, I, I've been waiting to jump in with that. That is my, my personal favorite. Oh, go ahead. And, what? Uh, I'm sure Maria is going to give a, a way better uh, explanation. Lucumadas is very labor intensive. Okay. Very. It's not something that you find almost... You can find baklava. You can have find... Some other desserts in a restaurant, but Lukumades is very difficult to find, and you can't find it anywhere else but at the Greek festival. Okay, they are pretty. They're fried. It's fried dough, fried, and then we put it in syrup. And this year we are going to have to have also an ice cream, a Lukumades ice cream sundae. Wow! So, but the flour that's used for the ladies. The yayas, the older mm-hmm. lady, they're very particular. It's a very specific type of flour that really makes the lupamades because it, it makes it crispy on the outside but sort of um, soft on the inside. And one year we were having a hard time finding it, and it was just, you know, chaos and panic that we were not <laughs> going to have the correct flour to make the lucumatis, but they I eventually mean, did find it. So, you I know, love that. that. Yeah, yeah. So I love that. I'm, I'm obsessed with details, you know, when it comes to stuff and like again, that. And again, they have to come earlier in the morning to start the dough because mm-hmm. the dough, you, it's a whole process. It's very It's a very intensive. fresh. It cannot be done ahead of time. Oh, so it, it can't. It, no, it doesn't need to rest like, as much. No, you really don't, yes, want it to. You you need to. It's not like the baklava, which can be made ahead, and then you serve it. Right. This is made, you know, daily to portions and, and cooked right then and served right then fresh. 
So that's the yeah. Yeah, it's a, a fresh bit, dough, and that, it's not yes. like it's not like risen a ton of time. Right, right. And, and there's the potential to actually get warm lucumadas. Um, and the only thing I'll say to anybody out there that's interested in trying it is, although those little dough balls, you know, might look bite size. Uh, when you do bite into them, make sure that you have a napkin because you're getting the full <laughs> that force of all that honey. <laughs> it is so good. Oh well, I mean we've we've covered we've covered you know food we've covered drink, and um, is a uh, is Uzon so- soda still around? Are they still kicking? They are, of course. It's, and it's, we have them. It's, it's available at the bar. Yes, and uh, we definitely love to. Pair it with one of our dishes. Absolutely, it's it's a great thing made right here in Rochester. It's um, a little bit of a licorice flavored soda, mm-hmm. and it's a great alternative for those that uh, don't drink alcohol. It's an interesting drink. It's not too sweet, and it's just a change of pace. It's not just any other you know soda you're getting from a fountain. It's absolutely. It's and a we, great product. We have a full complement not not only to have Uzan but a full complement of um, iced teas, uh, sodas. Um, water, soft drinks um, that are available. Nice. Also, we are going to have cooking demos. So oh, that's some, great. Yes. And we have, a, we call it Bacalico, which is a small grocery store in the back tent. So you can buy the things that you need for a dish. You can find them all there. Well, that's a great idea. I love the idea of doing the cooking thing. So I'm assuming you can go to rochestergreekfestival.com, check out the schedule Find out when the cooking demos and cooking classes are. Find out when your favorite dancing group is on. And I think we're wrapping up. I think we I think we got this, guys. I, so we have also a boutique with okay. uh, uh, clothing and jewelry and perfect cook, cookbooks. There's cookbooks Very there, nice. so you can get that. There's olive oil soaps. There's um, just all the sorts of different, you know, items, clothing yep. items that you, yeah, might want. Very nice. Almost all of them are imported from Greece, yes. I think. Yes. And we have jewelry, of course, that is imported from Greece. Very nice. Yes. All right. So Greek festival coming up on. All right. Why don't you go ahead and do? You you got this in your head better than I do. Yeah. It's uh. It will be Thursday through Sunday, um, June first through the fifth. Uh, at 962 East Avenue. Uh, and for more information, you can visit rochestergreekfestival.com. And I'm assuming they can find you on the Facebooks as well, probably? Absolutely. All right, so you got the Facebooks, Rochester Creek Festival. And everybody, thanks for stopping by. It's Thank a lot you. of fun. I know of I learned a lot, and I'm excited. And it's going to be 11 to 11. Perfect. So even if you go to a bar and you're hungry afterwards, you still have time to come and try something. I think you might get a couple people doing that From coming off of you. you I know. think you might get a couple we'll people. We'll have the best food, so. <laughs> we can't wait. We hope to see everyone down there. Sounds great. Thanks, everybody. See you there. Thank you.